Blog Talk Radio. It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Speedway Show. Are you wondering what it's like to go to a faraway country like Zimbabwe? Have you heard rumors and wondered about the economy? What about the political climate? Do you wonder what it will be like to go on safari and see the animals? And aren't they roaming the streets anyway? Have you ever wondered what the difference is between a zoo and a game reserve? Would it be interesting to take a peek into my relationships from home? Well, here we are. And I am going to answer all those questions and more in your virtual trip with me. It was my incredible delight and privilege to go home for Christmas. I took my girls, Olivia and Jamie, and we spent two weeks in Zimbabwe and one week in Johannesburg. My dad's deceased, but mom and many members of my immediate family and my friends, many of them, still live in Zimbabwe. My sister and many of my cousins live in Johannesburg, so it was a wonderful homecoming. I have to confess, I was actually in Johannesburg for work, so while I had to go to work every day and work until, you know, 7 at night, my girls and my sister and my mom were frolicking and having a blast. But hey, that was okay, because I'd had the previous two weeks to play and sleep and rest and do absolutely nothing, so it was fantastic. Before I go any further, I have to tell you that if you didn't happen to pick up this audio program on the website, www.spiewe.com or thespiewashow.com, this is one show that you will want to visit the site to see because I have posted a bunch of photos for you on the posting for this show entitled My Trip to Zip. Now, if you generally pick up the shows on the website, you might be thinking, well, where else is she talking about? Actually, the shows are also available on <clears throat> blogtalkradio.com slash spiway. Um, some people pick them up off of Facebook or YouTube. And, of course, as I, not YouTube, but um, Twitter, and uh, as I have been saying lately, uh, the show is actually also available in iTunes. So you can download past shows, but you're not going to be able to see the pictures. So for this one show, I strongly recommend that you visit com so you can see the pictures because I'm going to be making some references as we go along and you're going to want to check them out. A few facts about the country. Let's start with that. It is Zimbabwe is in southern Africa. It is about the same size uh, geographically as the state of Nevada. It has a population of almost 13 million people. So as land masses and countries go, this is not the largest place on the planet. If you look at it on the map, you will always recognize it because it's almost right in the middle of uh, southern Central Africa, and it is the country that looks very much like a teapot. Now, I stayed at my mom's house in uh, Mount Pleasant, which is a suburb of Harare, and Harare is the capital city of Zimbabwe. Um, you, Some of you might remember that Zimbabwe was Rhodesia back 
well, it's been a while now. Um, it was colonized by the British, and it was uh, called Rhodesia after Cecil John Rhodes, who was one of the, um, um, what should we call him? Who was one of the men who came from the UK, colonialists, who came to take over the country. And uh, back in 1980, it was changed to Zimbabwe, which is, uh, many would argue, the rightful name of the country. So if you're thinking, isn't that that place that used to be Rhodesia? Yes, it is. And the capital used to be Salisbury, uh, after Lord Salisbury, British Lord. And um, so many of the cities were renamed their Zimbabwean names after independence. Zimbabwe is below the equator, so December is summer, and it is also the rainy season. So everything, when I went, was green and lush and absolutely gorgeous. The temperature was actually not bad. It was uh, in the, I would say, you know, it averaged out in the high 70s. Um, Sometimes it got into the 80s and the occasional day in the 90s, but for the most part, it was absolutely gorgeous and completely bearable and just, you know, flip-flops, sundresses, swimming pools. It was absolutely lovely. In the time I was home, I was just awed by how lucky I am to come from this amazing country. There is so much richness in the culture, in the land, and in the relationships. And, of course, you know, sometimes you have to go away before you see it for what it is, because when you're in it and when that's where you come from, it just is. Kind of like if you are an American and you've always lived in the United States, you know, it just is. So anyway, let's start a, uh, Let's start with uh, um, my observations about politics and the economy. Zimbabwe has gotten a pretty bad rap over some things that have happened there over the decades. If you know your African history, you may know, uh, as I said, that Zimbabwe was called Rhodesia for a time um, after Britain colonia, uh, colonized the country, stealing something like 90% of the best land and handing it over to British colonialists who came to number an estimated, last I checked my history book, about 10% of the population. Segregation and racism were natural accompaniments to colonialism, and the native Zimbabweans suffered terribly under British rule for many, many years until a bloody guerrilla war, and that's guerrilla, G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, resulted in the country's independence from British rule in 1980. So, you know, it wasn't just that the British just woke up one day and decided, oh, hey, you know, why don't we do the right thing and hand this country over? It was a little bit more involved than that. Since then, one of the most contentious issues has been the reallocation of land back to its original and rightful owners. So now you have the history of what happened to the land in the first place and why it's even a problem. Depending on whom you ask, you hear different versions of what went wrong. And, you know, as as I sit here telling you this, I'm not speaking as a historian. My dad was actually a historian. We'll talk about that later. But I am the ordinary citizen who makes curious inquiries like you might. Everyone agrees that the British government was supposed to pay Zimbabwe money to buy back the land from the, the white British farmers that had taken the land in the first place, Right. Um, the divergence comes over whether the British actually paid the government for the land or not. 
and whether, if they did, they paid as much as they should have. Some say the British paid some, but not all the money it promised, and that the money that was paid lined the pockets of corrupt government officials and wasn't used to buy back the land as intended. Others say the British government reneged on this promise and never paid anything at all. But either way, CNN and others were there on hand to report what happened subsequently, which was that um, over time the uh, the veterans, the war veterans, became restless as you know time went on and the land was not reapportioned to them uh, as the original owners of the land. And um, it sounds like, from what I have heard, the other thing that went wrong with the vets was that the fund that was supposed to pay for their assistance went dry, and it is largely believed because the um, because of the corrupt government and you know it was pilfered away by people who shouldn't have access to it, who shouldn't have had access to it. But anyway, in the end, the story was that the president of Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, who continues to be president today, who has been president since 1980, and I'll let you wonder about that because. We have no term limits. But anyway, the president says to the restless vets, well, you know, you want your land, go get it. And so they picked up their machetes and they picked up their weapons and they went to the white farmers and they said, give me my land. The farmers, having enjoyed many, many years of oppression and segregation and superiority, said, pound sand. Little did they know that the vets had been given implicit um, and I get the impression that it was actually expressed permission from the president himself. So what did the vets do? They attacked the farmers, much to the surprise and shock of the farmers. And so it was a mess. That was back in the 90s, but as you can imagine, it had very negative impacts on the country. Negatively impacted tourism, tarnished the country's reputation in the eyes of the world. In actual fact, the sensation was actually, was much more widespread than the number of farms actually seized in that fashion. And uh, so it wasn't blood and gore all over the place the way it was portrayed in the media. The government did, um, however, require that the large commercial farms uh, owned by both blacks and whites, be used productively. So actually, it wasn't just the white farmers who lost their land, and it was primarily the unproductive land that was just being set on so that the uh, farmers could pass it on to their children. Um, so <clears throat> uh, the farms were ultimately reapportioned, and even today there is there is a continuing expectation that those who have farms farm them productively. And whether you're white or black today, if uh, you're not being productive with your farm, then um, it can be uh, taken over by the government and given to somebody who is being productive because the idea is that agriculture should continue to develop in Zimbabwe. So <clears throat> go figure. But nevertheless, the white farmer fiasco led to sanctions from the West, which did what sanctions almost always do, which is to punish the common man on the street who doesn't have the resources to leave the country to get the basic provisions they need. I remember coming home in 2008 and seeing literally grocery store shelves that were empty, 
and people were going to South Africa for groceries, they were going to Mozambique for groceries. Part of it, too, was just that the economy and the inflation rate were making it unprofitable for merchants to continue to stock the shelves. So it was more profitable for an egg farmer to have somebody sell his eggs on the corner of a street of the street for a billion dollars for 24 eggs, a billion Zimbabwean dollars, so you get the idea for how bad inflation was, than it was to put them in the grocery store. Um, at one point, Zimbabwe had one of the highest inflation rates in the world, reaching over 1,000%. And I am told at one point that there actually was such a thing as a trillion-dollar note. I have laying around in my house somewhere a $500,000 note that I kept for posterity. And um, so that's how bad the inflation rate was um, over a decade ago. So as a result, the Zimbabwean merchants at some point, I was told uh, it was right around the time the trillion-dollar note was reintroduced, um, Zimbabwean merchants just decided they weren't going to use the Zimbabwe dollar anymore. So they switched to the South African rand and the U.S. dollar. As of 2009, the official currency of Zimbabwe became the U.S. dollar, which, as you can imagine, is incredibly convenient for me when I go home. It was uh, Now, that did a lot to stabilize the economy, and today things are so much better. Commodities, some are still expensive. For example, when I visited Hawaii in November of 2011, a gallon of regular unleaded gas could be as much as 4.88 to $5 a gallon. In Zimbabwe, they use the metric system, but when you do the translation, a gallon of gas is about 5 to $6 a gallon. Wow! But bread hovers right around $1, which is cheaper than some types of bread in the U.S. The soapstone sculptures, for which Zimbabwe is famous, and clothes I have bought there are actually quite affordable. So it just depends on the items. All indications, though, are that the country has been and continues to turn around, and things will continue to improve. Some people attribute the change to the sharing of power between ZANU-PF, the ruling party, and the MDC, the Movement for Democratic Change, which is run by um, Morgan Changirai, who is now sort of kind of sharing power with ZANU-PF, although there have been complaints and screams from the MDC party over time that it has not been equal and they weren't given the same access to the same important ministries that ZANU-PF had. But hey, things have gotten better. So whatever is going on behind closed doors, things have gotten a lot better. Interestingly, Zimbabwe has more than enough natural resources to sustain itself. It was it was once a huge exporter of tea, cotton, beef, and tobacco to Europe. It was once the largest exporter of gold in the world. And it is home to many precious minerals, including diamonds, which have recently been discovered in the past few years. Um, one person at home told me that if used for the good of the whole country, the revenues from just one diamond mine alone could repair all of the infrastructure in the country. So it is not that the country wants for natural resources. It actually doesn't need aid. So what is the problem? Well, in fairness, Zimbabwe has been plagued by corruption at the highest levels of government, and many officials have hoarded the wealth for themselves. 
leaving behind a shrinking middle class and rapidly growing group of poor and poverty-stricken citizens. And in case you're wondering, my family would fit into the middle class category, so I confess that my views are biased by the fact that I look at what's going on in the country from the middle of the economic scale. If I were part of the ruling class, I probably would be far less critical of the government, just like uh, if I were at the bottom end of the scale, I might be of the opinion that things have always been far worse than you know my personal experience has shown. We have had the same party and president in power since 1980, and the corruption is perhaps a sharp lesson in what happens when you don't have term limits. But an interesting point about our president, while I criticize him for not having done a much better job of allocating the country's natural resources and wealth more broadly, I have to tell you that in many countries in Africa, he is heralded as a hero for having had the guts to stand up and thumb his nose at the West in a way that many African leaders have not had the courage to do. And in fairness, when you look at his track record, he has vehemently opposed any attempts by the West, particularly the British government, to control Zimbabwe's direction through purse strings of aid that often come with stipulations and requirements. Um, You know, while that's great, personally, I have to say that, um, you know, in my observation, what he has also done is he has blamed the West for conditions that, in my view, his party created. And so, therefore, you know, there's a lot of blame for the West has done this and the West has done that, and you kind of look around and you go, no, that wasn't the West, that was you. So so there are many people who would disagree with just how terrible the West has been to us, especially in the latter years when, you know, he's been in power for all this time, over 20 years, and still blaming the West. So, you know, the mysterious West has, uh, I think, long since kind of turned around and gone its merry way. But anyhow, um, everyone that I spoke to within this country uh, does agree that we don't need aid. Zimbabwe is not a poor country. We just need to reallocate the wealth in a different way. Isn't that interesting? But anyway, um, moving right along. Um, it is believed that within the next couple of years, I'd say within the next you know, two to three years, we're hopefully going to see a major change in the country's leadership because our president is now in his 90s, and uh, so it is time for uh, him to step down and go his merry way. So we'll see if that happens, if he retires uh, and hands over the reins within the next uh, electoral cycle. So elections are going to be in 2013. I think they're supposed to be in June right now. And uh, so, and and they are every, oh, it used to be five, I think it's now six years. So we'll see uh, if this is the last time that we see Robert Mugabe at the helm of the uh, country during an election year. Let's hope so. So on to other fun topics. Let's talk about the animals. Now, the last time I was was home in 2010, I brought my daughters, who were then six and eight, and this was their first time in Zimbabwe, and they were thoroughly disappointed because they didn't see the animals roaming the streets like they expected. So this time they complained about not seeing any animals and told me in no uncertain terms that they wanted to see animals. 
So I pick up the phone. I call my sister, Yasha, who lives in Johannesburg. And I say to her, Yasha, the girls want to see animals. And my sister says, animals? Why do they want to see animals? And I said, oh, come on, get with the program. You live in Africa. There should be animals. And she says to me, well, you know, when we go on vacation, we go skydiving. I'm like, yeah, 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 find me some animals. So off she goes to scratch her head. Now, my mom happens to find uh, just an hour away from Harare, the capital where we live, uh, this amazing safari lodge called Pamuzinda Safari Lodge, which translates uh, translated means something like at the palace of the king. It was glorious. We spent three days at Pamuzinda Safari Lodge, and um, we just had a blast. So for some of you who might be wondering, you know, when you go on safari, you typically stay at a game reserve. And the difference between a game reserve and a zoo, all of you who know what a zoo looks like know, you know, you wander around the grounds, you see animals, and they're typically in pretty small enclosures. So by contrast, a game reserve is actually the natural habitat where the animals live, and um, there is usually an area where there's a lodge built and there's some, you know, development there, but it is actually in the middle of the wild where the animals typically live. So you got to be real careful. You can't go out at night. Um, you cannot uh, go out before, typically before dawn is what they'll tell you. And you should always go out in a, with a guide if you're going out into the wilderness and into the bushes because you don't know what you might encounter. So Pamazinda, for example, is a game reserve that is about 8,500 acres in size. So it's pretty big compared to, say, you know, a zoo. So the game reserve is typically an enormous area of land that is preserved for its natural habitat and wildlife conservation. So you have your safari lodge that's built in the midst of the land where the wildlife roam, and you will see pictures of that when you visit the posting for the show on speedway.com. So what did we do at the safari lodge besides sleep? Well, we happened to get the... uh, what seemed to be actually the nicest lodge called the Royal Lodge, thanks to my mom. And uh, so we had a private swimming pool in addition to the public one that was over at um, the lodge hotel. And so the girls went swimming. They adopted, you know, the, the local cat. They, we went horse riding. We went canoeing. We had an elephant encounter where we got to meet the elephants. You have to be 12 and over to ride the elephants, so the girls couldn't ride, so we met the elephants instead. Um, we saw the lions in their own enclosure, and that's actually the photo that you see for the posting of the show. And if you notice, I have this look on my face like, oh, my gosh, and it was because I'm standing there behind with the lions behind me in this enclosure, right? And because the guides have talked me into going and standing over there with the lions behind me. And so the, the, the guides are going on about how, oh, your dress fits so beautifully with the coloring of the lions. And I'm like, mm-hmm. And meanwhile, my mother is panicked, right? So my mother's yelling, you're too close, you're too close, and uh, which is making me nervous. And then all of a sudden, just as the picture was taken, now I had a perfectly nice smile. Just as the picture was taken, one of the lions right behind me starts to growl. And, boy, let me tell you, you if, if you've watched The Lion King, 
You remember the scene where Simba was trying to roar and the hyenas were laughing at him because he sounded like a cat and he was all, ah! and then his dad came and he had this resonant roar. And if you're sitting in the studio, it was like surround sound. It was It was just everywhere. Yeah, that's what that lion sounded like. Okay, so needless to say. Um, and, in fact, if, if you look at the picture, at the lion closest to me, behind me, you can see his mouth is open. And so just as the picture is taken, this thing starts growling right behind me and freaked me out because now I'm thinking, well, you know, it's a cat, right? So cats can climb trees. I know lions can come tr- climb trees. I wonder if that lion can jump over the fence. How high is the fence anyway? Is it high enough? Is this lion going to come get me? This is what was going through my head when the picture was taken. So as soon as he took it, I was scampering away from those lions. And so that was the story of why I looked like that in the picture. We saw other benign animals. We saw zebra. We saw wildebeest. We saw the fish eagle, which is the official bird of Zimbabwe. It's called the Zimbabwe bird. So if you look at a Zimbabwe flag, you will see um the bird that's that's in the uh that's sitting uh in the white part of the flag on the left is actually a fish eagle. We saw Impala, which is you will recognize from the pictures, is a cousin of the um deer. We saw tons of impala monkeys, lots of them. And uh, we saw terrapin, we saw buffalo, we saw giraffe, we saw warthog. Um, And by the way, not only did we see wild warthog, but we saw spike. Spike is that warthog that you see my my sister (laughs) has got a leg over in the pictures. If you scroll down, and I am sort of winking. If you go to the Facebook page, you'll see my profile picture is me winking, uh, lying next to Spike the warthog. So here's the story with Spike. Apparently, he was abandoned by his mom when some gamers came by and she got scared and evidently left him behind. So he was raised on the bottle. And by the by the folks who um work at the game reserve. And so um Spike likes to come into the Safari Lodge almost like clockwork every day, right around six o'clock. Spike will come just prancing and tail in the air and he will go and lay down by the fire. He has gotten he's done that for years to the point where now they actually have a pillow for him by the fire and sometimes he lays on the pillow, sometimes he drools on the pillow, but there's Spike with his pillow next to the fire. And so that's where he was next to the fireplace. And then of course you have, you know, silly people like me and my sister and my, 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 my girls and my family who come and, you know, we sit on the couch next to the warthog and he just sleeps. He sleeps all night. And so we pet the warthog, we take pictures next to the warthog and he does not bother anybody. As long as you don't poke and, and, and um, um, bother him too much because he is, after all, in the end, a wild animal, right? And then he gets up at about 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, and he goes out into the wilderness, and uh, then he comes back at 6 o'clock the next night. So the three nights that we were there, Spike came every single night. You could see him right around, just like clockwork, same time. It was pretty amazing. So that was Spike. Um, lots and lots of assorted birds. There is a picture, if I remember, I'll make sure there's a picture on the um, website of the flame lily, which we saw several of. The flame lily is the official flower of Zimbabwe, and when you see it, you'll know exactly why it's called a flame lily. It is the most unusual flower. I've never seen it in the United States, nor have I seen it in any of the like tropical areas like 
Latin America or in um, in uh, California. So I don't know if you can find the flame lily any place other than Zimbabwe, which is why I made sure I had a picture of it for you because it's pretty fascinating. So go check out the pictures. You will be fascinating. You will be fascinated. I also took a video clip of me wandering around town, and I'm going to play you uh, that clip that I took. And uh, what it was is I wanted to buy a clock. So I walked into a leather goods store, and you're going to hear the transaction, and it's most of it is in Shona, which is actually the native language of Zimbabwe. And... Uh, you're going to hear me talking to the uh, gentleman behind the counter about this clock. So the issue was I buy the clock. The clock is in a really big box, and it turned out that the largest paper bag that they had was not large enough to fit this clock, and the clock is a um, it's one of the signature artifacts that is manufactured in Zimbabwe. It's made of, I think it's made of copper. Um, and it is shaped like the country, and on this clock are the different, uh, some of the different animals that are sort of key animals that you find in Zimbabwe. I think he's got an elephant. I don't have it in front of me. He's got a buffalo. Beautiful, gorgeous clock. If I remember to do it, I'll take a picture and put a picture of the clock on the website so you can see it. So, there isn't a paper bag large enough to fit this clock. So then, this guy is determined to find a solution. So he sends his assistant, a woman, to go off and find some cello tape. And so you hear him say the word cello tape, and um, then you know he sends her off to go get it. She comes back, can't find it, um, because wherever she went to borrow it, next door or wherever, they didn't have it, and this is like eight o'clock in the morning because stores open at eight on um, in 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 the morning, and so she comes back. They don't have it. Then I decide I'm just going to take the clock as it is because I'm just walking it to the car anyway. I'll put it in the trunk. No big deal. And then we say our goodbyes. So what you will hear, other things that you will hear that I want you to see if you can pick up on is the word manguanani. Manguanani means good morning. And so you hear you hear Mangwanani actually coming from some other people who walk in the store and they're exchanging greetings. The one of the last words you'll hear in the exchange is the word Majrita. You hear it twice, so I want you to listen and see if you can pick it up. Majrita means thank you. And it's spelled very differently, so if you're just wondering how on earth do you spell that, it's M A Z W Z V. I-T-A. That's how you spell Mashrita. So, take a listen. And this is the largest one you have, my big one. I want my big Okay. <laughs> 
So that was me buying my clock. And uh, so you hear a little bit about what the language sounds like when two people are having a conversation. And you heard a number of other people. There was a customer who came in looking for card holders. And um, so that's, that's, that's a little bit of the language for you there. So anyway, that is Zimbabwe. Now, as a culture, let's talk about relationships, because, of course, you know, this show is all about relationships. As a culture, Zimbabweans have a tendency to have very close family relationships. You may be hard-pressed to find a Zimbabwean who has lived there all their life who will declare that relationships, especially family relationships, are of paramount importance because it's such an ingrained part of the culture that we don't really think about it. And, in fact... It wasn't until I was talking to a friend of mine, actually, Wadzi, and uh, we were pre-recording a tape, uh, a show that you're going to hear on, um, uh, the show was on um, multicultural dating, and it's going to air in the future. But one of the things that she pointed out was that her observation was that Caucasian men that she had dated had a tendency to be much more close to their families compared to in her opinion, African-American men. And, um, in fact, uh, I think she said British men were even more um, family-oriented than American men. But anyway, uh, I didn't really think about it until she said it, and I thought, you know, that is so true. And uh, I think about it now because I can see it as a distinguishing factor because I've lived outside the culture for 25 years. So when I go home, I am struck by the difference between American culture and Zimbabwean culture in the way we treat our relationships. So I'll give you just some uh, examples. We absolutely love family. And so for me, you know, I go home and um, the friends that I grew up with, we are killing ourselves trying to get together the, um, the family members. We make time to get together and just visit. And so you're, you're, you're constantly having people just show up at the house completely unannounced, no appointment, no scheduling, no, hey, why don't we try and make this work on such and such a day. People just come and they sit and um, food is a big part of the way that we socialize. So where, wherever you go, you are offered tea. And it's not just tea. Usually it's tea or coffee with lots of cream and sugar, just the way we like it, and lots of yummy stuff to eat. There is cake. There are rolls. There is, you know, something, always sandwiches, something that accompanies, you know, scones. Um, delightful. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Delightful things that you can always have with tea. 
And if it's not tea time, then if it's going to be meal time. People, you get someplace and people will start cooking just for you because you came and they want to visit and you're never in a hurry. You sit down, you talk, you laugh, you giggle, you meet the cousins, you talk about how much they've grown. Some of them I can't even recognize, so I keep having to ask my sister, okay, so who is that? My goodness, that's what? He is so big, I remember last time I saw him. Yeah, that's what we do. Um, your in-laws are your family. We don't even really have a, a, a word that translates into some of the words that we have for different family members in English. For example, um, cousins, uh, your your uncles and your aunts, the siblings of your parents. In Shana, we don't really have a word for uncle and aunt. We have my guru and my nini. My means mother, guru means older, nini means younger. And so my father, my father's younger brother to me would be babam nini, which means he is my younger father. Um, my father's older sister would be my my guru, which means my older mom. And so I think, did I get that right? Let's go with my mother's. My mother's older sister would be my my guru, my older mom. And, you know, sometimes it varies a little bit depending on whether my parent is my dad or my mom. But basically, I it's, it's my my guru or my my nini, depending on the pecking order in their family. And then we use sekuru a great deal. So sekuru is um, grandfather. Sekuru is also the word that we use for great uncles. And so to my daughters, my babam nini would be potentially their sekuru. I think I got that right. It's been a while. But anyway, um, all of you Zimbabweans, you can feel free to correct me if I, if I got that wrong. But at the end of the day, um, that is how close family relationships are. The extended family is like your family. So I have aunties and uncles who are simply my parents' close friends that they have had since before I was born. So, for example, my bestest best friend Bridget in Zimbabwe would be Aunt Bridget to my children because she and I were friends, you know, and will be friends forever and a day. So my uh, my best friend Renee, for example, would be Aunt Renee to my girls because Renee and I were friends long before my kids were born. And uh, we will be friends long after my kids leave the house. And uh, so Renee lives in Iowa, I live here, and I take trips down to see Renee. So she would be my my, parent, my, my daughter's aunt. And um, and it doesn't matter that she's Caucasian and I'm not, and uh, because that's just how close family is. Crosses boundaries, crosses racial lines, all of it, especially with my generation and the generation behind me, whereas, you know, my parents' generation, as you can imagine, and the generations before them, they were the ones who went through segregation, and so they didn't have quite as inclusive a view during, you know, back during the 70s and the 60s when, you know, white rule was, was very, very oppressive in Zimbabwe, which was then Rhodesia. So that's a little bit about family. With regard to in-laws, you know how in this country, in the United States, there is sort of a, a presumption that you're going to dislike your in-laws and you're not going to get along. 
Well, in Zimbabwe, your in-laws are your extended family, and one of the really cool things about getting married is that you now get to inherit this whole new family, and they are your family. So instead of having a mom, I have two. Instead of having a father, I have two. And so the expectation is you are going to love and respect your in-laws just as you love and respect your parents. And we don't even have to the point, we don't even really have a word that translates into in-laws because they are supposed to be that close. And speaking of which, just an interesting note, one of the ways, the symbolic ways that your in-laws get to be your parents too is through the payment of a dowry. Women are still paid for um, by the groom um, using a some sum that is a, a dowry. And there is a whole procedure and a process and a ritual around how the dowry is paid and negotiated, and, 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 and it's really quite fascinating. Not the topic of our show today, but it is through the payment of a dowry that the two families are joined and become one. And actually, um, when I got married, my husband had to pay a dowry for me. And uh, he's, he, he's African-American, so you can imagine how that conversation went the very first time we talked about it, because he's like, well, can I get a refund if it doesn't work out? Which, as it turned out, uh, was actually a pretty good question, because, of course, when it didn't work out, <laughs> he didn't get a refund. So that was that. So um, to, back to, but I digress, back to the closeness of our family. Um, you know, in the three weeks, that I spent with my mother and my sister and my sister's friend who came to uh, Zimbabwe with us, there was not a single argument amongst the family members, not even with uncles, aunties, cousins, not a single disagreement. The only people who were bickering were my daughters. And, um, you know, not a harsh, angry, or impatient word, not a I can't stand my, my this, I can't stand, I can't wait to get away from my parents, I can't wait... Not a single thing like that passed between us. And I only noticed it because one day as my daughters were bickering, I said to them, you know, this is, you see Auntie Yasha sitting over there, my sister? They're like, yes. And I said, okay, so we've been here three weeks. Have you heard a single time when me and Auntie Yasha have had an argument? No. Okay, so that's my mama over there. Have you heard a single time? When my mom has had to have an angry word or an angry statement for either one of us children of hers. No. And so then I thought, you know what, that is actually quite a unique thing because that is just how we do. I remember saying to my boyfriend one day, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we never have an argument because he's very laid back and I'm very laid back. And uh, or at least at this point, I'm energetic, but 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 pretty mellow. And I realized that actually part of the reason for that probably has to do with as I as I sort of mature and revert back to some aspects of my culture and where I came from. We are an incredibly peace-loving people and amongst our families, you know, quick to try and resolve disputes, we get into everybody's business in the process, but hey, um you know, just loving, loving, loving. Uncles, aunts, cousins, friends, all thrilled to see each other. No bickering, eye-rolling, oh, I can't stand this or that cousin, and so-and-so is always drinking. You know, we don't have any of that. And um, it was just a joy to be so close and to be so loving and to be in such a loving environment where everybody is just loving you. And if any of you are sitting there thinking, wow, that just sounds heavenly, it is. 
And it's probably the one thing that I miss most about being at home, just being enveloped in in the love and the the closeness of being with your family and friends that you've had for for years in life now. And um, I would challenge every single one of you, if you went home and you hung out with your parents and your siblings and you rolled your eyes and you thought, I can't wait to get away from these people, I challenge you to do differently because it can be done. When I was growing up, I grew up in my cousins' homes as if they were my siblings. And I'd be at my cousins for weeks at a time in the summer, and my parents didn't mind because I was cared for and disciplined by my aunts and uncles and even by my friends' parents in the same way that my parents cared for me. So I mentioned my friend Wadzi. We've known each other since high school. And Wadzi's elder brother, Victor, and actually she had two older brothers, Victor and Dennis. They were kind of like brothers to me too. And my cousins, Francis, and my friend's older brother, Gilbert, they basically looked out for us because these were the guys that we went to when we wanted to hit somebody up for lunch money so we could go out to Wimpy over lunch in downtown Harare or when we wanted movie money. These were also the guys that we were running away from any time that there were boys around because they were going to be after them. And so Victor in particular was was pretty ferocious about stuff like that, so we were always afraid of Victor. And so it was like he was my brother too, and that's how we were raised. Um, You know, what I find is that American parents, by comparison, have a tendency to be much more possessive of their kids. And some of it may be safety issues because it is a different environment here. But, you know, it's a big cultural difference where I could send my kid off to my, you know, um, the cousin's house and leave them there for a week. In fact, we did that with Olivia when she was four. We sent her off to Mississippi to see, hang out with her cousin so they could build a relationship when she was four. And we try every summer to send the girls off for a week or two to, to hang out with their cousins to try and perpetuate some of that. And so this was how relationships worked. And, uh, you know, when I say adults get into each other's business, they really do, especially with family and really close friends. And so you'll hear, you know, the women getting together and they'll laugh and giggle. And I remember being shocked once when my mom was laughing and saying to one of my aunts, now, you know, look at that child. He has grown up to be such a beautiful kid. Aren't you glad you didn't have an abortion all those years ago? And she was like, "Mm, yeah, child, because he's the smartest one of the bunch. Why? He's probably going to be the one who's taking care of me. And I'm sitting there going, oh, you'd never hear a conversation like that in the open in American society. (laughs) Nobody would be all up in your business like that (laughs) in such a way. And so to have a group of, you know, these are family, to have a group of family members having those kinds of discussions was really kind of funny. Um, Marital woes, same thing. You know, you find that Auntie so-and-so has fled to to go to Uncle So-and-So's house because, you know, she and her husband have been having a fight and he threw her out of the house. And so she's run off to his older brother's house and now the older brother has the task of coming back to his younger brother and, and, and not just the older brother, but the older brother and his wife are now going to call on the younger brother and they're going to try and make peace between this this married couple. And, um, you know, and I've had times when, you know, Auntie might have stayed at older brother's house and, and with his wife for, you know, a couple of months 
while they try to work things out. And so this serves as sort of the default separation often while the family tries to, you know, come, come now, let us reason together. You guys need to work this out. And um, nothing is off limits. And, and I suspect, and I have said uh, still to this day, I suspect that if my ex-husband and I had lived in Zimbabwe, we probably would still be married because we'd have had this huge family unit coming at us going, oh, no, 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 this is not what you do, and, you know, you need to work this out, and perhaps it would have made a difference. Who knows? So anyway, so that's a little bit about relationships. The other thing that I was reflecting on as I was home is that, you know, a lot of people marvel that I'm a lawyer, I have this blog, I am a mom, I like to ride my Harley Davidson motorcycle, and and, and I, I actually wrote a book. We'll see if it gets published, but I wrote a book too. And actually when I look at my family and friends from home, what I realize is that first, I'm not at all remarkable, because second, so many of them are very highly accomplished. And so I'm just sort of a product of the family that has raised me. So while I was home, I got to hang out with my aunt, my uncle, my sister, her friend, my cousins, and a few of my friends. And even as I was I was thinking about the show, um, I really had to think about, you know, the sampling of what my family and my friends are up to. So my sister is a manager of a uh, for a Fortune 500 uh, internal auditing company in Johannesburg. Her friend is a nutritionist who started a, a new job this year with a large pharmaceutical company. My mother, Dr. Professor Rosemary Moyana, is a professor and dean of the University of Zimbabwe. She is also an author. She has published a number of articles and books and and. and Stuff. And she is a farmer. She is um, she oversees two farms and a guest house and a shopping center in Chipinge, which is the the city, the the little town where I was born on the eastern islands. So all of this she did, and um, that was my mom and uh, my late father, Doctor Henry Moyana, was the his last job before he retired to. Be uh, he, he was the the one who was primarily responsible for the farms and the guest house and the strip mall before he passed away. But uh, his last job before he retired to do that, he was the Zimbabwean ambassador to Egypt. And uh, during the time that he was the ambassador, my mom was the one who was actually running the businesses at home. And back then, they even had some rental property that they were also taking care of. So. Um, Back to my dad. History was his passion, and early in his career, he was a history professor. In fact, he taught at Lincoln University for a while until he went home back in the late 70s, right before independence. And he was a Columbia University grad, and he got not one degree from Columbia, but four and uh, so I think he got two bachelor's degrees, a master's degree, and a Ph.D. in history. So that gives you some idea of who this man was. He co-authored the history textbooks that are still in Zimbab- taught in Zimbabwean high schools today. And they were actually the textbooks that we used when I was in high school. So you can think for a moment about the pressure of being the daughter of one of the authors of your high school history textbook. I don't remember what my history grades were back then, but I do remember some of my friends putting me under the microscope a bit. Go ask your dad this. Go tell your dad that. Why do we have to remember? Why do we have to memorize? Blah, 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 blah. It was a trip. But anyway, 
there you have it. So back when I was in high school, over 25 years ago, my uncle, Dr. Kombo Moyana, was the governor of the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe. He's also a farmer and an entrepreneur. It was um, years ago now, back when I was in high school and long before the country's economic downturn with the horrible inflation I talked about earlier. But I always got a kick out of it because at that time his signature was on all of the Zimbabwean currency. And since Moyana was my maiden name, there was often instant recognition when I met people because everybody knew him. And if they didn't, you know, you can imagine I was in high school, right? So I was quick to pull out a dollar and say, this, this is my uncle. (laughs) And so... That was uh, my claim to fame back then. My uncle was the governor. So he would be the equivalent of the former chairman of the Fed, Alan Greenspan, or Bob Bernanke today. So now while I was home, I also got to see my Auntie Florence, uh, which was an incredible treat because I haven't seen her since I left home 25 years ago. One reason I haven't seen her is because she and her husband were in the diplomatic corps. He was the ambassador to several countries, and she is currently the Zimbabwean ambassador to Canada. She also happens to be the dean of Zimbabwean ambassador, and she just published a book about her uh, her late husband, my uncle Ngonichidea, who passed away about a year ago. I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a dean of ambassadors. I thought my dad was doing pretty well because he was an ambassador, but she is the dean of him. Go figure. Uncle Wilson, my mother's younger brother, is a highly successful lawyer in Zimbabwe, and he's actually the reason I became a lawyer. He sowed the seed back when I was in high school by telling me that since I love to read and argue, I'd make a really good lawyer. Well, adults, you sure have to be careful what you say to your kids because that was the first time I contemplated a career in law, and I've been very happy with my chosen profession after 20, after what, 19? I'm going into my 20th year of practice. Love it still. And not only is Uncle Wilson a very successful lawyer, but he's also a farmer and a very successful entrepreneur. I was intrigued to learn that one of his businesses is a company that manufactures water and sewer pipes. You may have heard that Zimbabwe had a terrible cholera outbreak a few years ago, and the blame was largely placed on old corroded water and sewer lines. Well, Uncle Wilson is helping to address this problem because his company manufactures modern equipment that is being used to upgrade the water and sewer systems in the country. Um, He's got a lot of other work going on, and, um, you know, on the one hand, he talked a lot about, uh, he talked a little bit about the pressure and the stress of knowing that every employee he has represents a certain number of individuals that rely on him for their livelihood. And uh, because the average Zimbabwean family, if I remember him correctly, he said the average Zimbabwean family is about nine people. And so this is why, because I told you how close we are and we've got this extended family thing that goes on. And so for every single employee that he has, that represents about nine uh, people who are being supported by that income. And I tried to keep up with how many employees he had, but after he started counting all of his businesses, I just sort of gave up. And um, so there you have it. I was also delighted to visit with another woman I hadn't seen since I left, my friend Nozipo, who is a neurosurgeon and mother of four, and she's an author, and she's married to a urologist. Um, My cousin is a designer. My cousin Tandy is a designer in South Africa. Um, That is Uncle Kombo's daughter, and I have, and in fact, Auntie Florence's daughter is also a, 
uh, designer. And you can find her on Facebook. Um, her design, her, her label is called Demoyo. She is in, I think she's, well, she was in New York for a while. She lives in, she moved to Canada now to be with her mom. And uh, she is also a pretty successful designer in her own right. And so these are the kinds of people that um, I have in my family. So when I look at me and I look at the relationships I had growing up, I realize how much they shaped my life and who I am and what I do today. And it also really emphasizes the idea that the values you are raised with tend to be the values you will find it easiest to live by once you're older. And it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because if you've been raised on hard work, getting a good education, always going, doing your best, you're probably going to do exactly that because you don't see any reason to stray from those values because, you know, among other things, they work. If, on the other hand, you are unfortunate enough to be born into circumstances where you didn't have those opportunities or the right mindset for success, then you really have to fight against some ingrained thought habits, personal habits, and family dynamics in order to change the course of your life. So that is a little bit about uh, my trip to Zimbabwe. And uh, I intentionally allowed this show to be a little bit longer just because I knew that um, I was going to have a lot to tell you, and I haven't even scratched the surface. The last observation I will leave you with is that Zimbabweans, and South Africans, in fact, are the most phenomenal hairdressers. So I get home, and uh, I'm looking at women everywhere. There are braids, there are you know weaves, there are dreadlocks. Dreadlocks are all the rage now. Lots and lots of different kinds of hair. And I'm just amazed because it seems like on every street corner there is an amazing hairstylist. And um, I happened to go to a guy named Innocent. And Innocent just cracked me up because he was so charismatic. He was like the Pied Piper of Hamlin. And um, so I walked into his salon one day, and I, I looked at him, and I said, Hey, I, I saw what you did with um, Mpo, who was a woman I, I <laughs> ran into in a store, and I loved her hair, and she gave me a, a, a she gave me a reference to her hairstylist. So he says, Oh, yes, I remember her. And I said, Oh, well, you know. I'd like to get my hair done, and he's like, what would you like? And at the time, I was thinking I'd really like some dreadlocks, right? But what I realized very quickly was in order to have dreadlocks, you need to kind of stay with the person who's doing them as they grow up. So um, he says, uh, and I had braids at the time, so I said, okay, so, you know, what do I do? He says, oh, you just come to me. And I said, oh, really? So in terms of preparing my hair, he said, I said, so I'm going to, you know, take the braids down, and then I'm going to wash the hair. And then he says, and then you come to me. And I was like, okay. So I go to Innocent, who is a fantastic hairdresser but can't keep time for anything. So he's two and a half hours late for our appointment, keeps claiming he's around the corner. Um, but when I called him the first time, I'm at the shop at 8 o'clock like we agreed. I call him at the shop because he's still not there at like 8.20. And I can hear the kids in the background because he's clearly still at home and uh, promising it'll take him half an hour, which, of course, it didn't. And um, But he came. He did a phenomenal job with my hair, argued with a bunch of people in the shop the whole time while he was doing my hair. It was really funny. And um, um, got it done, though. 
And uh, then I got to Johannesburg, and I went to my sister's hairdresser, who did amazing things to my hair. So now it looks like I've got this lattice work design, and I'll have to find somebody to take a picture of it so I can post it. It really is quite pretty. And, um, you know, only in Zimbabwe, only in South Africa can you get people to really do amazing things with your hair like that. So it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And the other funny thing about Innocent, he looks at my he looks at my face and he says, Oh my sister, your eyebrows are too big And I'm looking at him like, What do you mean my eyebrows are too big? And he says, Oh, hold on, I will fix them for you And he pulls out I kid you not, he pulls out an electric shaver. An electric razor, like guys use to trim their mustaches and their beards and to shave. And so I'm looking at him like, what in the world are you going to do with that? But then I thought, you know what, I'm in Zimbabwe, I'm just going to enjoy it. What the heck? Whatever he does, they'll grow back. So he 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 takes this electric razor to my eyebrows, freehand, and he does the most masterful job in shaping my eyebrows that I have ever seen. And here I am thinking, you know, most um, beauticians use, you know, they use wax and they use paper and they do all these crazy things. And here's this guy with without a guide, without anything, just freehand, with nothing more than an electric shaver. So I look, at it, I look in the mirror and I am just genuinely impressed. And I said, wow, that's pretty amazing. And he says, oh, I know, it's a curse. And so I thought, well, clearly not lacking in self-confidence for my friend Innocent. So I am sure that the next time I go home, I'll go track him down and have him do my hair just for the fun of it. Because he was pretty, he pretty, he was incredibly amazing. So he has this hair salon called Fragrant uh, that he works out of. So if you ever go to Harare and need a good hairdresser, you just let me know and I'll uh, I'll give you a reference for Innocent. So anyway, that was my time at home and just a few of the highlights go check out the pictures it was big fun and uh, until next week i am sad to say we have come to the end of our show so this is the way of saying go in peace and if you ever have the opportunity to travel and see uh, i urge you to see as much of the world as you can because there are so many treasures out there beyond the confines of the country in which you live. Thank you for joining us on the Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply. <laughs>